Good morning. My name is Jonathan Nash. Uh, really good to be with you this morning. I'm the congregational pastor of our Napier congregation in South Nashville. We're a cross-cultural church in uh, the biggest um, public housing in the state of Tennessee. Um, and so really excited when I get to preach at some of the other congregations, not only to give Elliot and Daryl a break, but get the chance to see you guys and get the chance for y'all to get to hear from me. Um, I am going to be in the same series that we've started for the summer, which is a series that's trying to teach us to pray and also give us the chance to practice prayer. And I, I believe that the passage of scripture that we're in, in Matthew chapter six, is going to do that. Um, and I really think uh, what you'll see, if you really give me a chance and listen and uh, consider what the word is teaching this morning, um, I think you're going to find that it's actually teaching us much more than just prayer. It's not, it's not giving us um, tactics or strategies to be better at something, but it's drawing us deeper into who we are and who the Lord is, uh, which means that this morning has the chance to be absolutely transformative. Because if all you get from this series is you get, come to the end, you're like, well, good, I can pray better. Um, I'm not sure that would be exactly what we hope. Um, but if you get to the end of, of the sermon and the series and you say, you know, I know myself, I know the Lord, um, my life is different because of who he is and now who I know myself to be, then, then that sounds like something that we want to get behind here. So very excited. Uh, and I think that this passage will do that. Um, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter six. And we are going to hear what Jesus has to say about prayer right before he teaches us and the disciples to pray the prayer that we just prayed and in, in the prayer that we just prayed in the Lord's prayer. This is this passage of scripture in the beginning of Matthew six is kind of Jesus's introduction to prayer. And so he's going to teach us um, some things about it that I think are really good and really interesting. So I'm going to read starting in verse one, Matthew six, verse one, and then verses five and six. Okay. Jesus says this, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Verse five, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Lord, uh, open your word, open our hearts. Um, if there's something, Lord, that is in the way, something humanly speaking, emotionally speaking, um, mentally speaking, that's, that's in the way of us hearing from you this morning, then remove it. Even if that's me in some of my words, Lord, uh, don't, certainly don't let me be in the way of what you want to say. And don't let us be in the way either, because um, we need to hear from you this morning. And we know we will, because you're that good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, y'all, I just think this is so practical. Um, I think what, what we, we are given here, the gift of this passage that Jesus is giving to us, that he gave to the disciples, that he's giving to us, I think is so practical because he's talking about two things at the beginning that every single one of you care about. I promise, I promise you, every one of you in here cares about these two things because he's talking about right and he's talking about reward. 
This, this little passage in chapter six is just, it's not even really about prayer. It starts by saying, Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who's in heaven. So we're talking about being right. That matters, doesn't it? Imagine this. Imagine if you woke up and for an entire day, every interaction you had, you were told wrong. You were told you're wrong. If you wake up and your spouse, someone you live with, a roommate, all they say to you is wrong, wrong. Your kids just say wrong to you. Or if you're young and you're with your parents, living with your parents, if all they say is wrong. You go to work, your employees, your boss, all they do is look at you and say wrong. It's going to be a pretty miserable day, isn't it? We don't like being wrong. In fact, our lives are, are built around being right. We want to be right. We want to do right. We want to know what's right. Right matters very much to us. We love to practice being right. And then reward. Gosh, reward matters too because there's a connection in my mind, naturally, every one of us. There's a connection between right and reward. In other words, if I'm right, I'm going to get rewarded. If I do what's right, there's gonna be a reward. If I am right, good things will happen. So these two things matter a lot for us and we believe they follow a formula for the most part. And yet, let me ask you, how's it going for you? Because I know that there are a lot of people, I pastor in a, a, a community of historic poverty, deep poverty, deep um, broken social, family, personal symptoms. I know a lot of people who do a lot of right things. They are doing as good as they can with the hand they've been, they've been dealt. And yet, they're not getting much reward. I also know people who have succeeded in doing lots of right things. Or you would say maybe, your life is pretty right. You've gotten it. You've accumulated the things you need. You're fairly happy, fairly healthy, You've got a good education, you've got money, you've got friends, and yet, maybe you don't feel fulfilled. I talk to a lot of people that would say that, or they're unhappy, or they're, 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 they're living with anxiety, and yet they look at their life and they're saying, what is going on? I don't see how these things are matching up. In other words, the rightness of my life isn't matching the reward that I expect. Because we really do think it follows a formula. And the formula goes like this, I do and I get. I do and I get. I do and I get. And if I do bad, if I do wrong, I'm going to get bad and wrong. If I do good and I do right, I'm going to get rewarded. And yet that is not how life seems to work. Well, I want to tell you this morning to start out that Jesus is talking about this idea of connection between being right and practicing right and getting a reward because there is a way this is supposed to work. Let me give you the real formula. And there's actually something that comes before the I do and the I do and I get. It's I am. Before an I do, before we, the reason we care about what we do and believe if what we do gives us the reward or gives us what we want, it's because we believe there's something right with us inherently. In other words, I am then I do, then I get. If I am right, then I'm gonna do right, then I'm gonna get what's right. 
And this is how God made us. He gave us an identity. So I'm here to tell you this morning that the formula of I am, I do, and I get, there is a way it's supposed to work. There's a way it does work. And that's the hope this morning. But first we got to tackle the fact that it doesn't seem to work. So how's it supposed to work? Well, let me tell you your I am according to the word of God. Let me tell you your identity according to God. And I'm so glad that we were just in the book of Genesis because we got a lot of this already. So so hopefully some of this will feel a little bit like a review, but the first thing in our I am that's important is that we are, you are, I am created by God, which means we were chosen to be created. We didn't happen by chance. We're not a victim of happenstance. We're not a product of accident. We're not a product of chance. God himself chose to create you along with everything else. You were chosen to be created, which means he loves you. So not only are you created by God, but now that you're created out of love, now he pours his love on you. So you're an object of his affection. You're an object of his love. He didn't just create something or create you and just spin you off and like, oh, great. I hope that works out. No, he, the scripture says he, he sees you. In fact, the way he made you in Psalms, it says he knit you together. He pieced you together intentionally like a master artist that loves what he's creating. So you're a product of his love and you're an object of his love. And your life as a human on this earth, made in his image, is living that out. So what do you have? You have all those things that you're trying to get. You have honor. How much of, how much of the time do you spend doing your due, the I do, to get honor or to get respect? For some of you, it might be love and beauty for people to see you as beautiful and valuable and to treat you that way. Everything we need comes from the Lord and how he's made us. He put those things into us, which is why we can say, and as scripture says, that we're made in his image. That all the fullness and beauty of the image of God, the value and dignity and glory of the image of God is put in you. That is who you are. That is your I am. So let's think about Adam and Eve. That was them. And so what did they do? They just were themselves. Right? There's such a simplicity to how Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden that I think is something we deeply desire. I just want to be. I don't want to have to work to be in the sense of like toiling or, or striving in a way that's painful. I want to just, I want to be able to be who I was made to be. I want to be fulfilled is what we call it. I want to be doing out of who I was made to be. I want to be doing what I'm good at. And scripture says that if you are who God made you to be, if that's true, if your I am is true, then what you do is you just are who he made you to be. You do what he created you to do. You have gifts. You work out of those gifts. You have strengths. You leverage those strengths to be fulfilled. You work. You play. You do relationships. You worship. That's your I do. That was how it was intended to be. And then finally... You're not really worried about the I get because what you get is the product of being 
who you were made to be with the Lord. So all those things that are inherent in your identity and how you were created, you get those things by being you. You get beauty because he made you beautiful. You get worth because he made you worthwhile. You get honor because everything he does is honorable. Everything he crafts is respectable. And it means we have glory made in him because he is glorious. So why does it not feel that way? Why is it that life is this toiling act of I do and I'm trying to get, I don't even know who I am. Well, and that's the problem because what did the devil do back in the garden? I know know you didn't think you're gonna get a Genesis review. The devil goes to Adam and Eve back in the garden and the devil takes the I am and he flips it. And now I am is am I? And he takes the I do and he flips it. And now instead of I do, it's what should I do? What am I going to do? And then the I get becomes another question. Will I get? You see that? You see how those indicative statements of I am precious and beloved. What I do is be the precious and beloved self that I am. And what I get is the fullness of Jesus. Those statements become questions now. And doubt comes into play and our life becomes a toiling performance race. Which is why Jesus in this passage says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. It's very simple. He's saying there is a reward. There is inherent, natural, automatic reward that comes from being a created child of God. That all of those things we just said, as impossible as they seem, or as as far-fetched and far away as they seem, they're inherently true of you if you are made in the image of God. Through communion with Jesus, all those things are true. And yet, Jesus says, if you are seeking to fill those things, if you're seeking the reward apart from communion with me, in other words, if you are doubting that all those things are true and instead you're saying, I'm gonna get them myself through these things, through making sure this is right in my life or making sure I do this right in my life and that will get me the reward. He's saying, you know what? You might succeed. That will be your reward. Maybe for a little while, you'll get it. Maybe for a little while, your job will fulfill you. Maybe for a little while, putting all your identity in this relationship will fulfill you. Maybe for a little while, getting the respect or the love of that person will do it for you. That will be your reward for a little while or a long while, but it will not be the reward of your father who is in heaven. And it's not a punishment. It's not saying, well, you choose this and I'm not gonna give you that. He's saying they can't exist together. Like naturally, they can't both exist. You can't be a product of the love of God and fulfilled out of that place and at the same time be seeking to be a product of everyone else's love and fulfilled from those things. They can't exist together. And so when it comes to prayer in verse five, Jesus says this, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. So he's talking about being a hypocrite for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen 
by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. It's the same message, but let's talk about a hypocrite. We use that word, right? We know that word typically for a hypocrite. We imagine like a politician, right? Who has this platform and everything's good and things are supposed to be a certain way. And then you find out, oh, actually they were living differently. Or how about this? A preacher, a pastor who stands up on Sunday morning and says, this is the law of God. This is what it means to be moral and good and follow God. And then we find out in their personal life, they're not living that way. That's a hypocrite. The word that we use comes from this Greek word here, translated hypocrite. It's actually just a Greek word. It's hypocrite. And the word means a play actor. So this is a technical term in Greek culture for the men and women who would stand up on a stage and act in a play. So Jesus is saying, beware that you're not practicing your righteousness, such as prayer. Beware that you're not practicing being right as a play actor. Beware that this whole life isn't a performance. Well, why would it be a performance? Because we're play acting, right? Because I'm trying to be someone. I'm trying to do something. I'm trying to practice my rightness or create my rightness so that I get rewarded, which means I'm not the true person that God made me to be. Because if I was, I wouldn't be needing to do it. I would know that I'm fulfilled already in him. I would know that I have dignity. I would know that I have value. I would know that I have love. I would know that I have respect and I wouldn't need to go seeking it and creating it for myself because I would know that it comes from my father. So we, in this I am, I do, I get, or should I say in the am I, what should I do and will I get, In that paradigm, we live as hypocrites. We live as play actors. We live as performers. We become performers and our relationship with God becomes performative. Because when everything is in question, hear this, when everything is in question in my life, when I don't allow the Lord to tell me who I am, and when I don't get security from his statements, his His promises about who he is and who I am, when everything is a question, we become play actors in our own lives. When we don't have certainty about who we are, then we don't have the identity that he's given us. And so we have to perform in order to get. Make sense? It's just the way it works. It's so simple. It's so eye-opening. So why does Jesus then begin to talk about prayer? And this is where I think it teaches us a lot about prayer, but again, is really just teaching us who we are and who he is. Jesus teaches us about prayer because prayer is the way to drop the mask. Prayer is the way to realize we are in communion with our Father. Prayer is the way to put down the acting and to pick up the reality, which is very different. Listen to what I didn't say. I didn't say prayer is the way to get back into a relationship with God. Prayer is the way to get him to see you. Prayer is the way to like yank on his, you know, shirt sleeves so that he finally pays attention to you because that's not the truth. That might be what we believe because of how hard things are in our lives sometimes, but prayer instead of that is a way for us to re-remember, 
to have it sink into us afresh, the truth, the reality that we have communion with God, which is why Jesus calls God here our father. Because I can tell you, I've got five kids. None of them have to convince me that I'm their dad. None of them. They don't have to remind me. I know all the time. And even though, because I'm broken and sinful, I don't love them all the time. They don't have to remind me to love them. That even when I act out against them, the deepest heart that I have for them is love. And imagine your father who doesn't act out against you wrongly, who never sins against you, who treats you perfectly the way he loves you perfectly all the time. That is the invitation of prayer to come back to that father, to come back to that God and to be told again who you are. So prayer becomes the way to our reward because the reward is communion with God himself. Our reward is God. That is our reward. As creatures poured out with love, created with love, our reward is to regain that. So why does Jesus here talk about going in secret? It's a very odd on the surface, might seem like a very odd part of this passage. Why are we being told to go pray in secret? Because the first thing we're told here is go to the secret place, go inside your room, shut the door. They actually think um, in almost all buildings and homes in this culture, no one had uh, doors on their rooms. Most people didn't, you know, it was mostly one room. So there's no such thing as like a secret place. So a lot of times we think it probably was like some kind of food storage place that they would have had in mind, like a pantry, like go into your pantry, shut the door, grab some chips, right? Start to pray. But Jesus is telling it, go, in other words, remove yourself from the temptation to perform, remove yourself from the crowd, which makes you an actor, get off the stage, Step down from this game you're playing and go to a secret place, which is really a hidden place, a place where you're alone with your father. And then number two, it says, find your father who is also in secret and he will reward you. When I first read that, I'm like, come on. Like, it's hard enough, Lord. It's hard enough for me to pray. Now you're telling me you're hidden? Now you're telling me you're in secret and I gotta find you? And then it hit me. He's not the one that's in secret. Who's in secret? We are. Because who's wearing the mask? We are. What this is saying is that when we go to our father who is in secret, we find that he's already with us. He's just not with the version of us that we like to be with. Because God is always with the real version of you, the true version of you. He's not with the idea you like to have of yourself. He's not with the Per, the part of yourself or the version of yourself that you want to play act and project to others. Because what the Greek actors and actresses would do is they always acted with masks. Some of you maybe have studied ancient Greek history. They find these masks when they're you know, digging up old Greek cities. They will find these and they're big, gaudy, huge masks. And the way the actors would act their part is by trading out these masks. Jesus knows that when he's giving this teaching and he's saying, put the mask down because your father who is in secret is beneath the mask. He's with the version of you that's underneath the mask. So go back to the real you 
Go back to the you that you've been trying to hide, the you that you're ashamed of, the secret you. And buried beneath that shame, that doubt, that pain that comes from feeling like I'm not getting what I deserve, that comes from not receiving in this life because of the brokenness of this, of this world, the things that I want, because that's a reality, y'all. Go beneath all of that and find your father who is in the secret place. And what happens when you get quiet and alone with him? You receive the reward. And what's the reward? We already said it. Communion with him and being reminded who we really are. It's also scary because the real you, there's a reason you hide from it, right? Doesn't look so good. The mask looks a lot better, doesn't it? The imagined version of who you would be at this stage of your life, at whatever age you're at, doing whatever you're doing, in school, out of school, married, not married, kids, no kids, healthy, sick, that version of you is probably not the version that you would like to imagine you being and what you wished you would be at this point in your life. But guess what? That's the you that Jesus is with. So things can get real weird. Things can get real scary. But what you will find is that he is with you. And what you will find is that the I am that you are is something lovely, something beautiful, something valuable, something respectable, because that's how he's made you to be. When I, uh, the, the, in the community that I work in, uh, in the Napier community where I'm a pastor, in the congregation that I lead, performative righteousness, which is kind of the technical term for what we're talking about here, this idea of being a performer and my righteousness being a performance. Performative righteousness in my neighborhood context doesn't work. Trust me, it doesn't work. People aren't good enough. There's not enough to hide the scars. There's not enough to hide the open wounds. The masks don't work because things are just too bad. There's not enough money to cover it. There's not enough education to cover it. There's not enough whatever, good family systems to cover it. Everything's broken, humanly speaking, which actually creates a really beautiful place for people to meet the Lord. And it's why we believe in Napier, the church and a relationship with the father is what people need. Alongside all kinds of other social service work and charity work, right? Those things are important, but it's the church. In other words, it's this, it's this message. It's a relationship with God who meets you in your brokenness. That is what we need. And that is what the whole world needs. Everyone in here, everyone out there. In every part of the world, in every country, in every place of every color, with every economic situation, we need a relationship with our Father through his Son, Jesus. And here, Jesus is saying, put down the mask. It's not going to work. Eventually, it will come crumbling off of you anyways. It might be as your body crumbles and you go to be with him that you'll realize that. But let's hope it happens before that. Instead, come to your father. Commune with the one who made you, who loves you, and who is making you more and more into his likeness, even if a lot of the things in your life are not going the way you want them to go. And have communion with him. And do that in the secret place, in the hidden place, where you can't be anything other than you actually are. 
So what we're talking about is using our neediness, using our brokenness, using our sickness, using our sin as the avenue to come to him. Because if everything I just said, you say, no, that's not me, then you will not be able to come to him. You will have the reward and it won't be the reward of communion with your father because that's not the real you. So in Napier, we love to say that the family of God is a hospital and a kitchen table. It's a hospital for the sick. It's a hospital for the broken. It's a hospital for the wounded to find healing. And it's a place of fellowship and community. It's a table. Because in Luke chapter five, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick do. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. It's a challenge to ask ourselves, who do we see ourselves to be? And who do we see the Lord to be for us? So it's very wonderful. It's very opportune, I should say, that we get to come to the table this morning. Um, We get to come to communion because when we do this, and in this church, we do it once a month, When we do this, it is a practice of communion. That's why we call it communion, right? It's a practice of viscerally, tangibly, in tactile ways to eat and drink what is true about God and true about us, that he has come to shed his blood for our sins. He has come to break his body for our brokenness. He has come to be wounded for our wounds and to heal all of those things in this life and most certainly in the life to come. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I'm delivering to you what I received from the Lord, that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he took wine and he broke the bread and he said, this is my body, which is for you. You see that? He is making the connection. I am for you. My brokenness is for your brokenness. What I'm doing is a, is a picture and a model and an actual powerful redemption for what's true about you, which is that you are broken. And after supper in the same way, he took the cup, the new covenant, which is the new agreement, the new promise that he is gonna be with us now and forever. And he drank it and he said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thank the Lord that we can proclaim his death and his life. So this meal that we're about to take is for you if that is true of you. And if you're here this morning and you're wondering, I'm not sure I'm not sure I'm wearing a mask. I'm not sure I, uh, I even need to come to the Lord. I'm not even sure who he is. In other words, I'm not sure this relationship you're talking about is true of me. Then we would say, that's the first step. That prayer is the way to get a relationship with the Lord for the very first time. To come to him and say, Lord, I am needy. Who I am, what I do, and what I wanna get, it needs you in it. And we would say, now is the time, this morning is the time to have that relationship with the Lord for the first time. We would say, wait, let this pass. I'll be at the front, come find me, come find one of the elders here and tell them, yeah, I wanna wanna go on that journey. 
or at least I want to start it today. And we would say do that. But if this is for you in the sense that this is a family meal, you're part of the family, and this is a proclamation for you that you need the body and the blood of Jesus to heal you, and that he's made you beautifully and wants to do that for you again this morning, then please come. Um, take the cups, they're, they're nested, so you got bread in the bottom and the juice in the top, so you just need the one. Um, we'll pass it, um, and then when you're ready, whenever you get it after you've had time, uh, we like to say communion is not fast food, it's slow food if you want it to be. So take your time and, uh, and enjoy this together while the band plays. I'm gonna pray for us, and then we'll do that. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for your word. Oh, man, we thank you that uh, this, this, this beautiful reminder that I can drop the mask. I can, I can drop the, uh, the rat race. I can drop the, the toilsome labor to be who I'm not, to be who I wish I was. Lord, I can look to you to tell me who I am. And I can look to you to make me who I'm not. And that is done in communion with you, my Father. And thank you, Jesus, that you came to pave the way for that, to make that possible, to actually give me the heart that wants to reach out to you. Thank you, Lord. And so as we do this, I pray that hearts would be renewed, um, that uh, people would be healed, that uh, the power of redemption by the name of Jesus would happen in this room. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you're with us. And in your name we pray, amen.